My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Adventure Games podcast. Thank you as always for joining me. Uh, Apologies for the slight delay in releasing the episode. Hopefully it won't happen too often in in the future. But we are back now, and this week I am joined by Jan Serra, the lead developer at Scarecrow Studios, and they're working on their upcoming game, Three Minutes to Midnight. But first, I just want to talk about some of the main things that have been happening in the adventure game community the last week. There's a huge amount of games that have been, well, released and announced, but we'll be talking more about them maybe next week with uh, with Thomas and hopefully La- Laura will return. But in the meantime, some of the main things that have been happening the last few weeks, and we start with some sad news about Frogwares, the uh, developers of mainly the Sherlock Holmes games. And on the 26th of November 2019, Frogwares highlighted that their games were being removed from various online stores following the expiration of its publishing agreement with Focus Home Interactive. Today, Frogwares has shared that of the 10 store listings that were under threat, 9 were permanently removed. The team was, however, able to fully recover the Steam store listing for Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishments and have also now released a game on GOG. But there is some kind of good news uh, within this story as well. Because Whale Ammer, the CEO of Frogwares, he made a statement. The outcome is pretty bleak. We are now fighting an uphill battle, trying to resubmit our games back under stores where pro- possible. As we previously said, the process is going to take several months, but there is hope and we will continue to push on. We are forever grateful for the sheer amount of public and industry-wide support we got, and we truly appreciate everyone who added their voice to the issue. To show our gratitude, we put together a digital booklet for Sherlock Holmes and have released it for free to everyone. A big thank you to all the community that did actually reach out to us to try help once we brought this to light. So this free digital booklet which highlights memories, stories and art throughout the various Sherlock Holmes games developed by the studio can be obtained either via GOG, Steam or it can be directly downloaded from the Frogwares website. So... Uh, best of luck to Frogwares, and uh, let's hope that their games will be back online very shortly. Now, to some happier news, the developers Laurie and Corey Cole, the creators of Quest for Glory and Hero U Rogue for Redemption, they have announced their new game, and they have just released a Kickstarter. So their next game will be Summer Days at Hero U, and it is a light-hearted adventure story video game. Now, this game is a little bit different to their previous games in that it is more dialogue-heavy. They mentioned that this is a narrative-driven game, that Summer Days is part visual novel, part adventure game, and a dash of light RPG for everyone who enjoys great storytelling. New players will enjoy the simple point-and-click interactions and light-hearted humour, 
more experienced players will dig into the nuanced puzzles and masterful game design by two of the most acclaimed game designers. You know, they say that Summer Days at Hiryu is a new direction for us. We've crystallized the story and characters into a fast-paced illustrated adventure that can be played anywhere. So you can find out more about this game on their Kickstarter page. They still have a number of weeks left to go. And they have released a trailer and a free demo. And you can find out more about their features and about the gameplay. So he plays two main characters, which will have two different stories. So there's a lot of replay value there as well. So uh, best of luck with that. Looking forward to hearing more about that. And of course, if you wanted to hear from Laurie and Corey Cole, you could listen to my interview with them, which was episode eight, where they speak about Quest for Glory and mainly about Hero U Rogue for Redemption. Next, Little Miss Fortune was released a few weeks ago on September 18th, 2019. Now, Little Miss Fortune is the new game from Killmonday Games AB, which is the developer of Fran Bow. And so in this game, you play as Little Miss Fortune and she is led by her new friend, Mr. Voice, and she ventures into the woods where, mis- where mysteries are unraveled and a little bad luck unfolds. So that game is out now. It is out on Steam, Origin, GOG, and Humble. Uh, if you want to know more about this game, you can listen to my interview with Natalia Martinson, the lead developer at Kilmonday Games, when I had a chance to speak to her at Narrowscope back in June. So uh, that is it for news this week. I hope to bring you more news next week. And now... We take you to the interview I had with Jan Serra, the developer of Three Minutes to Midnight. Uh, I had a chance to speak with him. They have just released a Kickstarter for their game. And I am sure that you will really, really tell the extraordinary passion that Jan Serra has for this game and the huge, huge amount of work that he's putting into it. So he speaks to me about the development of the game, about the game itself, with no spoilers. But he speaks with the story, the puzzles, uh, you know, different members of the team as well, and uh, the challenges that they have and they've had working on the game. But the game so far is looking great. The trailer looks good and the screenshots look really good. And I am really looking forward to finding out more. So here is my interview. So please enjoy. Thank you very much for joining me again for another interview for another episode. I'm here with Jan Serra of Scarescrow Studio and developer of Three Minutes to Midnight. Hello, Jan. How are you? Hello. I'm fine, and thank you for, for having us. No worries. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been wanting to talk to you. I've been really, really, really interested in this game since I first heard about it, mm-hmm. and so looking forward to, to talking about it. And as we were just mentioning before the recording, it's... Uh, it's middle of summer when we're doing the recording. Uh, you must be uh, in Barcelona. Must be pretty hot right now. Yeah, the, the weather the weather is insane. 40, 40 to forty two degrees outside. It's everything is melting. Luckily, in the office we are quite fine. Yeah, you have air conditioning in the office. I hope. Yeah, and we are praying every day it doesn't break down or something because <laughs> it would be hard to work here. Yeah, in Ireland we have the opposite problem. We're always praying for the sun to come out. <laughs> but although today it's it's very warm, it's a nice day today. But yeah, and, and then when I tell people, at least it's 
you know, not too hot, like 40, 45 degrees. And people tell me, oh, I would love that. And I say, no, you wouldn't. I yeah, don't think exactly. anybody would love that. <laughs> you have to experience that 24 hours or try to sleep at night with that temperature outside. And then I, I, I guarantee you, you, you wouldn't want that. Exactly. So, well, look, best of luck. At least you're inside. And um, so just wanted to ask you then first, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and then say what's your favorite adventure game is or games are. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Jan Serra. I'm game director at, at Scarecrow Studio and also the lead game designer. Um, well, I love point-and-click games since I was a child. Uh, the first one I played, I think it was Zack McCracken. But my favorite one, I think it's the Monkey Island 2, the Lechak's Revenge. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I played, I think, all of them. I, I even collect them. <laughs> I have so many of them even sealed. Uh, but the Lucas ones are always uh, my favorite, you know, uh, Sam and Max, Day of the Tentacle, uh, Manic Mansion, all these are, are the ones that have a place in my heart. Right, yeah, you can't go wrong with uh, with the LucasArts games uh, in particular. And, um, and do you have any recent games that you may have played that you particularly liked? Well, um, the last two I played was Thimbleweed and then Chalk. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I have to say, Chuck really surprised me. I, I love that game. I, I met the, the developer here in an event in Barcelona. He's, he's so cool. I, I love that game. I told him right away when I found out that he was the designer. I told him, I, I love what you did here. Uh, I wasn't expecting the ending, and that's really rare. And yeah, those are the two. I don't have much time to play. I have to confess that. But those are the two last ones I played. Okay. And... Uh... So we played Chuck. Yeah, I haven't played that yet, but I believe Thomas played it and really enjoyed it. And Timberweed Park, I still haven't played it either. I really want to because I'm a big fan of Ron Gilbert. Uh, how did you find that game? Do you think that it lived up to, to the expectation? Um, well, um, <laughs> or should we move on? <laughs> complicated question, okay? Because I really love Ron Gilbert games, all of them, most of them. But I I thought the ending of Thimbleweed was an ending, but not the right ending for that game. But I really enjoyed playing it. I, I enjoyed the puzzles. The conversations were funny. And I think in overall, it's a good game. You like it at the end or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good game. And it, <laughs> very good answer. <laughs> no, I've, I've heard I've heard different things about it. I haven't played it myself. You know, I've heard people who really really enjoyed it, and people like yourself who say that that the you know that they didn't believe the ending was the right one, and then there are other you know very very small minority who really didn't like it at all. So I'm looking forward to trying it out and see what I think. <laughs> oh, you you have I, I totally recommend you to play it because sure. uh, what I said you like the end or not. The game is really cool. The puzzles are funny, and the situations are really creative. Uh, I really enjoyed playing it. Uh, I, I have to say that I played it really quick. I finished it in, in one day. Wow. Uh, yeah, I started playing in the morning, and I didn't stop until I finished it, uh, because I had not, not a lot of time. Since I've been working on this project, it's been crazy. I'm working seven days a week, 16 hours a day. Uh, I, the only thing I do is work on three minutes to midnight. So when I get one day to do something, I really need to to take advantage of that. So I, I remember wow. it was one weekend I, I spent the whole Saturday playing it, and I, I loved it. I loved it. Wow. Okay. And how many hours did it take you to finish it? Uh, well, I started in the morning, take a 
break for lunch, let's say 10 hours, maybe nine hours. Well, okay, that's a decent decent time for a game as well, uh, you know, for adventure game these days. So. Yeah, I don't like I don't like to check online or watch walkthroughs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like to find the solutions for myself. I have to say that I I played it right away. It came out, and there was a couple of design mistakes that got me stuck. Mm. And it took me a while to figure out, but those those mistakes helped me a lot when designing my game, like trying to avoid that kind of frustration. Okay, yeah. So le- le- learn from you know learn from other people. <laughs> That's yeah, I think, That's... I think it's a really good way to. Uh, the first thing I did before starting was check reviews of the most of point-and-click games I could remember the names, and check the complaints of people, make a list, and group them, and to see the weight each complaint had. And uh, I am trying all those complaints won't be present in our game. Right. Okay, yeah, because Ron, Ron Gilbert himself, I believe, is back in the late 80s or early 90s where he wrote himself the the pitfalls of adventure games <laughs> um, um, so so now you could do part two <laughs> yeah I think uh, after after this project I can tell you uh, it's my first game I never made a video game before I used to work on engineering but I learned so much in these three years about making a point-and-click adventure game that I'm convinced that the next one we do will come out smoother and and better. Okay, yeah, that's you know that's what developers always tell me. At least with the first game, just you know get it out there and then keep learning. Because if we've uh, seen from everyone, including you know Ron Gilbert and all, that when they get their first games out and then they usually you know improve on the first game. But your first game, it looks pretty good. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> it's um, you know I I met you guys when well, I met uh, Pavlina, who I believe is a marketing director. Of this very very briefly at Adventure X. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got your details, you know, from her. And when she told me that you, you guys were the ones making Three Minutes of Midnight, I think I, I literally went, "Oh wow, this is this is a game that I've been really wanting to play." <laughs> now, I mean, I want to play all the games, but usually, I hear about new games um, that uh, from developers. But this one, I'd already known a little bit about. So uh, we can we can start talking about this game now, since this is why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, f- first of all, when when did you start? Um, so when did you? A star found the studio, Scarecrow Studios. How did that come about? Well, um, now it's quite a long story, but the first thing that happened... Take as long as you need. Okay, okay. The first thing that happened is, um, well, as I mentioned, I was working on engineering, and it's not something that I was really happy doing, and really stressful job. Well, little I knew that game design is also really stressful. Right. But I wanted to do something different and something funnier. So I remember it was around November 2016 or something. I wrote a few lines of a story. And just to to have a break, you know, to do something different than thinking about work the whole day. So I wrote that story and came up really good. And after it, I was convinced it was really, really cool and that the ending would be surprising and stuff. And I said, hey, let's try, let's try to put this in a video game. Let's see what it takes. I, I honestly have to say I had no idea of what this project would end up being or how much it would have cost at that moment. So I put like a little team together, like I remember it was four people, and tried to say, hey, let's see if we can manage to prepare enough 
content to show people what we want to do and make a Kickstarter. And I'm talking 2017, like around February or something. Um, But the thing was that that very first team, uh, let's say without getting into detail, that they were not really fan of the genre and they didn't believe that this could be a thing. So everything was coming out not in really good quality. It was really, really bad, I have to say. So we had to uh, cut that team and decide if we wanted to continue or uh, or just give up. So I'm not the kind of person that gives up. So I learned from the mistakes, scratch everything, uh, all those, all that work that was done in those four months went to went to the trash can. And we hired a new team with experience from the previous one. And this is the team that actually is working on, on the game right now. And things are coming up really, really good. But the beginning when the studio, the studio was even founded yet was that the, the story, the characters and a little bit of the design. And it was founded, I think, around April or May when we started needing uh, the name to get, you know, development kits and things from, from important companies, we needed the name. But before that, we, we just were working on it, you know? Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, so you can't, so first of all, how, how did you find this, uh, new group of people to work on your game? Did you, uh, put an advertisement online for adventure game developers or did you know people already? No, I, I have to say that since I was working in engineering and it's a complete different thing than video games, I knew no one on the artistic side of, you know, of the, of the work. So I had to put adverts online and have many interviews. I have to say that we were really lucky that our lead uh, environment artist wanted to work on this project because uh, thanks to him, I think the, the quality of everything else had to raise to match the art. So we are where we are, thanks thanks to that. I don't know, uh, our artist is, is David Puerta. He was working on, on the Yesterday games and Runaways. Oh, yes, from Pendulo. Yeah, so maybe wow. maybe the art is a bit familiar. Uh, I really love the, the way he Yeah, plays. really cool. Uh, just we try to give him a little bit more time to to do something more, you know, more detailed. Yeah, no, I, I love the art in those games. I, mean, I played the first two Runaway games, and mm-hmm. I absolutely love the you know the art in it. It looks absolutely beautiful. So, uh, congrats on that. And uh, and very very briefly before we talk about the game, do you want to talk about uh, who else is is on the team? Yeah, sure. Um, well, we have uh, Daniel Peña, who is our uh, character artist. He's like the the one responsible to bring to life, you know, the personality that we designed for the characters. So he's the the main responsible behind every single character of, of this game. And then okay. we have uh, Julian. Julian is our lead programmer and he's really, really hard worker, really meticulous. And what he's doing for us is, is incredible. Like uh, the level, the programming of this game has is I can guarantee you this is never seen in a point and click adventure game because normally people use things like Visionaire or, or 
already made up softwares to create point and click adventure games, but we create everything from scratch inside Unity to not be limited to what most of the softwares limit your your options. And all this is thanks thanks to him. And then okay. we have uh, our our main animator who's from Argentina, uh, Jorge. He's uh, the one animating everything with Spine. And you'll see that our game has more than a thousand animations, specific animations for each situation. Wow. And this is this is uh, something that when you're playing and you see the the reactions of the main characters or anything that's going on, it looks more alive than normally point and clicks that characters are steady or they don't even move when they talk or something. So it's something that we really wanted to improve from the beginning. And then we also have uh, Claudi and Marina, who they also do programming and assist uh, Julen on the on that task. And Carles, who uh, assists uh, Jorge in, in the animations. And then there is Pablina that you already met, that she does quality assurance and, and PR. And then we have a little team of uh, scriptwriter assistants because the script is something that has been scratched two times. I was not really happy with the first two scripts. And this one, I'm writing it myself with the help of Mark and, and Oscar. Wow, so you have a pretty big team. Yeah, right now I think we are 11. Okay, that's pretty big for adventure game standards. Yeah, and then we also get help, uh, like, let's say, freelancing for the voices. And we have a native uh, American writer that help us check that everything we write is in, in, let's say, North American, New Mexico English, you know, like it makes sense to the theme. Right, yeah, because even if, uh, I mean, I'm, I mentioned before, I'm not a writer, but if I did write for characters who were American, I would probably need uh, that help as well, because, you know, the English in Ireland and the English in North America is slightly different. Some words are different, and the, you know, the ways of speaking are different. So it's good that you guys are doing that. Yeah, so. and also sometimes, even we speak English uh, quite okay, uh, we write jokes that it looks hilarious that we are here laughing for 15 minutes. <laughs> and and then Ryan, who's checking this, he checks the thing and says, what what do you mean by this? So he doesn't get it at all. And it's really frustrating because we've been working on that joke for 15 minutes and then it has to be scratched and redone because right. in, in real English makes no no sense. So. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And the does he ever give any ideas, you know, for jokes or anything himself since he's from that location? Yeah, so sometimes we, we write things and he tells us, listen, this is not going to work, but you could say this instead. And I can, well, I, I can try to give you a little example, but we we had a, a laxative in the game, okay? And the name we came up with was Coronel, Coronel Tapioca, okay? Because we thought it would be funny the, the way it sounds. But he changed that to Montezuma's Revenge, which is, is something that <laughs> they actually call it there when when you have this arch to go to the toilet and also makes sense in the theme of the game. So little details like this uh, help improve the language a lot. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that, that's really good that you're getting like a local person as well to to really help you with the, you know, the writing of the game, to make it kind of, you know, sound right, because there are quite a few games that, uh, you know, well, not quite a few, but a few games that 
I have playroom movies and that that don't you know the English is perfect, everything is perfect, but or fine, but you know it it doesn't feel kind of local. It happens yeah. to me mainly with uh, with Ireland if there are you know segments or films you know with Irish characters and I could usually tell okay this is by an American who thinks that this is the way Ireland is. But it's not so. <laughs> so I understand perfectly. So it's really good to hear that you have someone local helping you guys as well. So, um, okay, we can get into the game then. So that's the team. So your game is three minutes to midnight. Yeah. Uh, so what can you tell us about this game? So what's the setup of this game? What's the plot that you're able to tell us? Okay. The the, the first thing I would like to say is that to leave that very clear. It's a comedy, okay? The first thing is, okay. it's, it's a comedy. So, everything we design in this game is uh, addressed or pointed to make you laugh, okay? And it's a story that happens around 1940s in New Mexico, and you you will have uh, two characters, okay? Let's talk about the first one, which is Betty. You will wake up as Betty, and she she has no memories, and soon you realize when you start talking with other people in town that they don't have memories either. And before you know, uh, there is going to be a, a big speech from the mayor who happens to be your mom. And she will like tell you that something's going on, that the town is working on emergency generators, that there is no electricity coming and that she needs help figuring out what's going on. So. Betty will go to the dam that is quite near to the town, that is the one providing electricity. And she will realize that something weird is going on, that the dam is half uh, blown up and behind the mountain there is a secret military base that is not supposed to be there. And from there, uh, she will come back to town, try to tell everyone her findings. And the people in town, they might not be who they tell you they were. So... Without making spoilers, that's how much I'm going to tell you about the story. Sure, which, yeah. So, which happens? Uh, what I just told you happens on the first chapter, and we have five of it. So. Wow. Okay. So you don't want to say who the people are. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I can tell you. We have. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> we have. We have a lot. A lot going on. A lot. And I know. So many times people say this and then you play the games and there is not that much and then you get disappointed. But we work so much on the background stories of each character because when you play with Eliza, which is the mayor, you will play it one year before the events of the night that you play with Betty. And then you will be able to meet the people in town like they are supposed to be. And every secondary character in this game has their own personal story. Normally, NPCs are usually flat. They are just there and they have a purpose. And once you uh, feel that purpose, they are useless to you. So we made sure that every single one of them is interesting and that you will be able, if you want to, to discover way more about them and how their stories are related. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's good because as, as you mentioned, a lot of NPCs, they're just there to serve the story or as a puzzle. We need to get this object from them in order to, to you know, continue with, uh, with the story. It's great to hear that they all have their own personal stories as well. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned as well that this is your third or fourth time writing, so you're clearly putting a lot of thought and effort into it. 
Yeah, the script is honestly the thing that I'm I'm being more careful and that I'm spending most of the budget and time on it. Mm-hmm. And I wrote most of it and I I right now I have a lot of help with uh, two guys that started as students and now we hire them because they are really good and they are helping me finish the the script. But everything that we wrote before uh, let's say before April this year has been scratched. Well, okay, so you had to start all over again. That's, <laughs> that's yeah, it's been insane, but I'm really happy with the quality the the script has right now, and and even it's been challenging to finish. I, I'm going to give you an example. For example, Betty, uh, her examin sentences is like 2,400 lines, completely different. So you are not going to hear in our game. This doesn't seem to work or I cannot do that, or da, or this kind of stuff, you will always get a sentence. And that sentence, if you pay attention without being too revealing, it will give you a hint of what you can or cannot do in that object or in that combination. Right, yeah, that's a classic, I believe. um, It was particularly in the Discworld games, which I have not played, but... Uh, to become infamous now for saying that doesn't work, that doesn't work. So it's um, it's it's great to hear as well that you know you give hints as well to to people when they try an object to say no that doesn't. Uh, maybe you could you know so you, you give hints to try to to help the player then. Uh, yeah, I, I can give you I can give you a very simple example about this. But at okay. some point Betty visits a campsite and in that campsite she's given some tasks. One of them is cleaning cleaning something. So the camp manager will give you an empty sprayer. So when you get the empty sprayer, Betty says nothing in case you want to figure it out by yourself. But in case you don't know what to do with that sprayer, you can use the sprayer with Pam, who is the girl that gave it to you. And Betty will say something like, hey, you gave me an empty sprayer. And then Pam will say, oh, I wonder by a campsite near a huge lake, how can you possibly refill it? You know, right. <laughs> so what, the way we grow it is that NPCs and Betty are going to be meaner to you uh, depending on how easy the solution was. Right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but the, the point is that we are trying our best that hundred, at least 99% of the times you will be very well guided if you don't know what to do. If you examine something on the environment, the explanation will be shorter, less revealing, but you examine something in your inventory and that uh, explanation will be uh, more developed and work in a way that, hey, I, maybe I could do this. You know, that it will make you think of an option. Okay. That's, uh-huh. one, of, that's one of the things. I think people don't, don't take care of these things because first they are really costly in terms of money because writing this, it's 50% of the script. And but they don't realize that 60% of the time the player is listening. I cannot do that. I cannot. I cannot go there. I cannot blah blah blah. Instead of something different, because it's easier to program the correct case and then for anything else just say I cannot do that. So we we didn't want it to go there. Even it's killing us in workload and and cost. But we wanted to make sure that the player is always going to be well guided. Right, yeah, and as you mentioned, it must be very, very costly to to do that. But 
I believe there was another game. Again, I haven't played it yet, but it's Edna and Harvey, where I believe it's famous now because you can click on different things, and each time uh, it will give you a different response and a different answer. Yeah, the Uh, thing is that, for example, Edna and Harvey have that, but their gameplay and amount of objects, hotspots, and items is, uh, I can tell you, not even uh, a sixth part of what we have here. And wow. also what we are trying with these sentences is not just tell you um, this is a glass of water, it's used to put water inside. No, we're trying to make that the sentences are funny and that make you laugh. So it's a reward that you go to the inventory and examine something because probably you will find a joke there that will make you laugh. It's not something like it's a pencil, um, it's a glass of water. It's a, No, that's, that's really lame. We didn't want it to go there. Okay. Well, well, looking forward to to seeing that. It sounds sounds great. Thank you. Uh, and I know it's, it's, I think it's obvious that you're putting a lot of work into it. So, um, so, so then, how did you come up with the idea for these characters? So you say that you, you play as Betty Anderson and then the mayor Eliza Barrett. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you come up with the idea of these two characters in particular? Well, the the first character I created was was Betty. I don't know why, but uh, when I decided I was going to make a game, uh, she was the first thing that came in my head. Although she was going to be dressed differently, she was going to be an older, a bit older version of what we are doing now. But since we expect people will love this game and we will be able to make uh, more, we decided to make her a little bit younger so we can make her grow in the next next chapters. And the rest of the characters just came up with the story. For example, uh, Betty wakes up and who's going to be the first character she will encounter? Let's think. Let's make something crazy and funny. Oh, let's do a, like a mafia guy that is a barber, for example. That's the first character she encounters. And then since it's a town and it's a mystery, we are going to need a sheriff. And we need a counterpart for the sheriff. So what can we have there? So we made Ben the redneck. So. Uh, and then we need a best friend for Le- for Betty. That's going to be Linda. And I don't know. Every character was created from Betty and uh, and how Betty advances in the story. So whatever she needed, we created a character. And after I created all these characters, I build the stories around them and their backstories around them. So it's been an insane amount of work. It took me more than than a year to develop the baseline story of this game. Wow, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work, and it's really interesting the way you, to, to to hear how you came up with the other characters, that they all came from the main character, basically, and and uh, your pro, your thought process. Well, let's, is... let's say, let's say, uh, well, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say. Yeah, no, you don't need to give any, any spoilers, don't worry, maybe after the game has been released, uh, we can talk again. <laughs> yeah, after, after somebody played the game and stuff, then the conversation with the w- warning, spoiler alert. It, it sure, yeah, we, we can do a spoiler special, like, <laughs> 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 yeah. with, with a big warnings, because, um, uh, yeah, no, there's another podcast that I listen to, it's the Empire Movie Podcast, and a few times they give spoiler special episodes where they speak with the, you know, the filmmakers and the actors and the writers, mm-hmm. but it's all spoilers, you know, they talk okay. about all parts of the game, but now they do say pretty early on, it's at the very beginning, this is a spoiler episode do not listen yeah. if you but yeah, this episode we're doing now no spoilers warning it's good exactly no but this episode it's free to listen to because i haven't played a game yet 
So, so uh, there's no spoilers, at least not on my end. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. I'll try not to talk too much. No, but one thing that I also been but, working a lot is in give this game some replayability. But uh, okay. So, for example, I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm not going to say which with characters, so people don't expect when that thing happens. But let's say you talk with a character, okay? And at some point, your your dialogue tree opens in four or five options. And then, depending on the options you choose, depending how you want to talk to that person, it's going to have consequences uh, when you're advancing in the game and also at the end of the game. We will have several endings. Okay. And depending on how how you did, what you did, how what kind of person you are, you will have one ending or another. And some parts of the game, you are maybe going to be able to skip them in full, depending on your actions. So all these little conditions that I talk with this person and I tell him this, so then these two characters won't have these conversation lines and then Uh, this puzzle is going to be solved in this way instead of this way. That's why it's taking me more of the, of my day in in designing and and fixing. So, but I think people will be really happy when they get to the end. It's something that I didn't wanted to tell anyone that the game has replayability, because I wanted somebody to get to the end and say, hey, listen, have you seen this end? Blah blah. And say, what are you talking about? My end is like this. And Did you saw this thing? What thing? I never seen it. You know this. This I want this to happen. So that's what I'm working on right now. Okay, so different people can get different endings. Yeah, and different people can see different situations or different solutions for some puzzles. Yeah, no, that that's sounds cool as well because also if people watch any streaming, then they know that okay, if they play the game, they get you know different situations as well. So that sounds really cool. So. Um, and then, how, how did you, why did you decide to set the game in New Mexico? If it's not a spoiler, um, you know, is there any particular reason why I decided to set the story there? Oh, I think I think the setting has a lot to do with that. I was watching Breaking Bad at the time, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> you know, Albuquerque and that kind of weather with sand and stuff. I don't know. I had the setting. I had those <laughs> images in my mind already, so I worked from there. So then do Walter and Jesse make an appearance? <laughs> uh, no, because the theme is very, very different to Jesse. But, uh, but yeah, that, that had a lot of influence in the setting and, and, the, and the place. Okay, because then I know that, I don't know if it's exactly a setting, but I know, um, you know the Spielberg movie, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, I think was set around there and other, you know, uh, as well. So... Okay, and have you been to that setting yourself? Have you ever been to Albuquerque? Yeah, I've been. Oh. I've been to United States several times. I love traveling. When when I'm not working is what I try to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I love all that New Mexico area. It's like driving so many hours in the desert. You know, once you leave Nevada and stuff. Uh, I I really like those roads and the weather is dry and hot, but not so hot. Well, depending on the month, I guess. <laughs> But I really, I really like that. So that that was going to be the setting. Okay, I'm really because I, I can't think off the top of my head, you know, any games that have that particular setting. So I'm oh, looking- I can tell you one thing that I I struggled a lot is uh, my main concern is I really want people to love Betty 
as people of Guybrush, for example. Right. That's why I'm I, I've been really careful with the dialogue. Betty never can be offensive. Betty can never be mean, gratty, like for no reason. And you have to fall in love somehow with the characters of this game. So it, it was really one of my concerns that uh, Betty was not well designed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, so so yeah, because I I I know where you're coming from. There are some games like uh, where the, the main characters you don't like them. Like uh, you know, my case with Deponia. I didn't I was mind going to say the same. I like Deponia <laughs> a lot. But the main Rufus, character. Rufus is too mean, too self-centered. Uh, it's really hard to uh, get attached to him. Exactly. And I don't think he really changes that much because in the first game, you know, he's really mean. He's, well, a loser, basically. But and then he kind of changed a little bit in the first game. But then the second game, and again, it's the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in my case, I had similar issues with, and I know this is a classic game, but Simon the Sorcerer, that I really like the game as a whole, but I did not like the main character. I just thought that no, he's just too, too kind of nasty and mean for to to be in any way interesting or likable. So it's it's good to hear that you're trying to make this person as you know as interesting and likable as possible. Yeah, so. it's, it's something that the main characters. I really want people to like them, and mm-hmm. also the the secondary you all the NPCs. You are going to find something uh, that you like about them, and they have the their personalities so well implemented like you can really tell without seeing who is talking or hearing the voice if you read the lines you can really tell oh this is from best friend linda this is from ben this is from the sheriff you we we work a lot that the personalities are really well established and somehow it feels it feels like a movie like you're part of it right okay yeah um no sounds really good and actually, another thing that I wanted to ask you now, just when you said that you have changed the script several times, you released a trailer, I believe it was last year or something. So that trailer that was released, will that still, you know, will we still see those scenes in the game or has it been changed? Well, one thing that, um, okay, one thing that hasn't changed is the story that I wrote. The story, it's the, the main line that we follow from the beginning to the end. And that's something that hasn't changed since I first wrote it. Uh, what I'm talking about the script is, for example, the lines that the characters say to each other. That right. those lines were a bit empty, there was no content, there was no purpose on them, or they were not funny enough, or you know, they, you, you really couldn't tell why I'm having this conversation kind of thing. So with all these things, and also with the very, very first script, the very first script was really lame. Uh, I hired someone to do it. I explained him what I wanted from the characters. The the script was a mess. It was flat. Uh, like you could read the sentences, you didn't know where or who said those sentences. Uh, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, but very bad language. You know, you know it's it's easy to make uh, comedy when you use bad words, uh, but the hard thing is to make it more elegant, more subtle. So it's really yes. hard for you to to notice the joke there. And when you get it, you feel uh, rewarded, like, hey, I got this joke, you know, because I know these things and I feel better about myself, this kind of, of thing. So the first script was was horrible. Like, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that if we had gone with that script, the game would have been a disaster and bad reviews and whatever. 
And the second one, I hired two, two script writers and they were working here in the office and I was giving, giving them some guidance and some good ideas came out from it. But at the end of the day, when they finished the work, the trees and the, um, the conversations, they were missing a lot of information, a lot of content. Uh, so we also had to, to scratch it and it was easier to start from scratch. So what I did a few months ago is uh, I just made a new table here in the studio, sit there with different uh, students from script writing that they were doing, um, you know, when the students go to companies to, to work a few hours. Mm -hmm. So I started with them and some of them that were really good, I kept them in, I hired them later after they finished this, uh, this practice uh, season. And with them, I'm sitting here every day telling them, okay, my conversation is like this. It has this content. I grow these jokes, these few boxes here I don't like. Let's find better sentences for it. And when everything is, uh, I find it with a good quality, we pass it to Ryan who fixes in, in natural English, you know, that feels more natural. Right. Okay. I, I'm, really, I'm really happy with the script. Everybody that I hand a page of the script right now, you can see them laughing their asses off. And that's what this was supposed to be. That you are not going to be laughing 100% of the time, but I guarantee you it's going to be one of the best comedies ever made. Like we can then say that, you know, Scarecrow could become Lightning U LucasArts, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> we, we heard this in the past. Some journalists told us this. And honestly, it's a lot of pressure because let's right. keep in mind we are an indie studio and we don't have the budget of LucasArts. But, right. but what I can tell you is that everyone in this studio, everybody that's working on this project right now, they are giving their best. And you can see it in every aspect of the game, from, from the characters, from the environments, the programming, the, the animations, and you will see it on the script and the design of the puzzles and the, and the story. Yeah, no, definitely, at least from the, the screenshots and at least from what you're saying, it definitely sounds like you're putting everything and more into it <laughs> so uh you know going way above you know kind of expectations to to get this game as good as possible but i, I know i know exactly what you mean about you know humor and comedy that it's uh you know seems easier to just put in like a swear word uh just to kind of make it funny but to me it's more difficult to make the game funny kind of without the swear words and i think that that's what the lucasarts games did really really well that they were very funny but they had really no bad language. Yeah, I agree. I can remember. Like the Monkey Island as well, it's kind of like, you know, clever humor. Like when the very first scene when you have Guybrush meeting uh, this blind watchman, that <laughs> even then is, it's funny. So when Guybrush said, but you're blind and you're a watchman. And then it's just, okay. And, it's, uh, and, and then the most recent example I can give at, at least at time of recording, I spoke with the developer of Clam Man. I don't know if you heard of that game. No. Uh, Cl Clam Man, it's just a game where these two brothers got together and just made a game and their only, in or the main intention was to make you laugh. That's all they wanted to do. That's and a again, good intention. Yeah, that's all they said, you know. That And th what the developer told me is that they knew that their mother would play the game as well, or part of the game. So okay. they said, okay, if they have like any swear words or anything, I said, okay, no, <laughs> let, let's think of it another way. Let's try and make it yeah. kind of funny, but that our mother would, would like it and other people as well. And it turned out to, at least for me, to be one of the funniest games I've played in a long time. 
that's um and i think the dark side detective as well it's very very funny but again very clean as well very you know it's kind of a clever humor so it, this game seems to be along those lines as well mm. so i'm really looking forward to uh to seeing it so now another thing you mentioned as well briefly were the puzzles in the game and we spoke about how you know when you interact with objects as well in the inventory um how you want you know to be humorous and, and comedic and also how to help the player along uh, but again, without giving any spoilers, what kind of puzzles can we expect in the game? Okay. Um, well, with the puzzles, I have to say that uh, I change them also a lot because I, the first I I grow the first bunch of 80, 80 puzzles. I grow them really quick, like in a couple of months. And then I saw a video on YouTube that I forgot the guy who who made it, but basically the video was about bad design. <laughs> of video games and puzzles for adventure games. And after watching that video, I have to say that I scratched 60 of those 80 puzzles what? and rewrote it from the beginning and tried to make them funny. That was the priority. The puzzle needs to be funny. It has to fit the story. So we don't want a puzzle that makes no sense that is happening right now. Like, uh, for example, if you are you are going to get inside somewhere and that's your main focus, it makes no sense that you start doing something completely different. You, your focus has to be that one. So they had to make sense also in the solution that it it could be something logical that in the real life somehow could even work and without losing from your side that they are crazy. So with that said, the kind of puzzles that we have, we have conversation puzzles, puzzles that you are going to have to talk with people in order, in order to progress. Um, this is something that you will have to do more in Eliza episode because since she is a politician, makes more sense that their, her puzzles are solved by dialogue and convincing others to do things that you you want them to do. And we also have the typical environment object uh, puzzles where you will interact with the environment and something will change there in order to for you to progress or obtain something. The combination items. This is. Uh, I think it, since I saw it in the Lucas games, it's something I really like. Not to abuse from it, like not spend the whole game combining, but if you do it in the three or four right moments, I think it brings really cool puzzles. Also, uh, we have, well, the typical object where you get an object, use it somewhere in the in the scenario or give it to someone in order to progress. So yeah, those those five different kinds of, of, of puzzles. Okay. Uh, was there any that were more, more challenging than others from a game designer point? Well, um, it's what I told you. Depending on how you interact with the NPCs, some puzzles are going to be harder with more steps and really harder to figure out. And the same puzzle could be really easy to solve depending on how you behave previously in the game. Uh, okay. I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you a small example of this. Uh, our demo, the one that we've been showing in events, um, it's a it's a campsite, and we decided to use this as a demo because it has no implications or tells you nothing about the main plot at all. So it's like a something completely on the side. So on the on this campsite, there is a there is a guy trapped inside the latrine, and you will need to help him out. So depending on how you treat him. Uh, the item that you need to solve this puzzle is going to be really easy to obtain or it's going to be really easy to figure out where it is. Okay. So we are talking maybe 
uh, add 20 minutes of gameplay if if you don't do the right answer to the guy. Uh, and also what I, I wanted to do here is that not because you are nice all the time means that you are going to have the best outcome out of it. Okay? Because uh, you should behave like you with, would behave in real life. Okay? So um, you cannot be just nice to everyone in order to obtain something from them. Okay? If somebody is a bit mean to you or a bit disrespectful to you, I'm sure you wouldn't be 100% nice. Maybe you wouldn't be super mean, but absolutely not nice. So you will have to find this balance in how to treat people, uh, trying to think what's going to be the best outcome for you uh, in your relationship with that uh, character. Right. No, I, I really love that idea because it's not, you know, you don't have like dead ends, you know, if you say the wrong thing, it's just slightly more difficult. And that can't think of any other game that has really done that. I don't know yeah. if this is the first time that it's really like this in in, in a game. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's also really complicated. We complicated <laughs> that. I can I imagine that working so many hours. And I'm telling you, every day I have ideas and I try to implement them. And I have to be careful at this point that these ideas are not um, overcomplicating the programming or the animations or the illustrations because we are already in a tight schedule. So everything new that I give them to make um, should be easy to implement and uh, bring really good improvement in the game. If not, uh, some ideas are being kept for the next game. But as I told you, what we design already is really, really good and has a lot of these uh, forks where you can choose how to behave. Okay, yeah. Now you mentioned uh, that from a programming point of view, I believe you mentioned his name was Yulin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so how has that been then? Has he ever come back to you and said, uh, no, look, I don't think this is possible or I think maybe we should do it a different way? And, you know, have you worked, has he given input like that? Yeah, I have, I have to say, Julian is a really good programmer, like really, really good. And sometimes uh, the, the issue here mainly is that uh, he talks from a programmer point of view and you talk from a designer point of view. And when you talk as a designer, you don't really see the implications that your little change will have in the back end of the game. And then it's really important when he tells me like, hey, this is insane. This, uh, this is like adding two months of work or one month of work. And maybe we can do it this way. And then we discuss a little bit, okay, this way would work as well. And it's not so much time to implement or some ideas that we had that they are really good, they are in our Trello, like uh, improvement for the next game, because the amount of time that it would take to implement those things is insane, and at the given time, we cannot do it. Okay, that's good at least that you work together. And do, do, you work in the same, do you work in the same office, or do you work remotely? No, no, no. Every, uh, I can tell you from the, from the beginning, the first attempts, we, I tried to make this game happen. With freelancers, these things don't work. And some some things you can, uh, you know, freelance, like, for example, translations or voice acting or even music. But the day-to-day, -day, things that need to advance and that you need to interact with other team members, uh, they have to be here in the office. Right. Okay, yeah, that, sound, that sounds good. Um, then you mentioned as well the... Um, uh, David Puerta, the environment artist, and then Jorge, the um, and the animator. animator. Yeah. Um, 
So I was wondering if you could talk us through the the process of you know uh, you know animating the characters and the game, and then you know well animating the design the environment as well, and how they integrate that into the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first thing we do is and when Daniel Peng as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the, four of, the four of them are, are, are implied in the process. Like, on one side we have the environments, so mm-hmm. David paints, paints the environments, and once they are finished, we have Carles, who breaks them down in little PNGs and, and does the environmental anim, illust- animations, like uh, moving trees or lights, uh, everything tiny that can move and is not a character. Right. And then that, that's for the environments. We are trying that when, for example, if you stop somewhere, okay, you are looking uh, at one of our backgrounds and you will see it alive, like a real life painting, okay? Something that it would be beautiful to watch as this. We, even if you are not playing, you're watching that, uh, you will feel this uh, emotion that, wait, this is very beautiful what I'm watching. So we are trying to animate everything very carefully so it's not over animated or oversaturated, and it's only you know the right amount of movement, like like there is a little bit of wind or a little bit of light and some particles floating, you know this this kind of thing. And then with David, uh, with Danny, with Danny, he does the characters and then he breaks them down in parts. He hands that to to Jorge, and then with Spine, he does the rigging of the characters and. We have a list where I write him, hey, listen, I want the characters to do this and that and, and stuff. And then we talk about it a little bit. And he says, okay, I can do this this way. So it's a bit easier to make and it will look better. Sometimes he suggests, uh, I, I don't know, I say, hey, listen, let's do this character sitting here. And she and he goes, no, it's better if he stands because it gives you more, I don't know, more uh, with what we are telling, it fits more. So we do that. Okay. So it's it's always a little bit of feedback. Most of the times it's just do what is in, it's in the list, but it's really good to have these professionals because when I write something that I have no experience on and I tell them, hey, I want this, it's really good to have the feedback. Like, hey, what you are asking is insane. And with this, we can do it the same way. What do you think? Okay, let's go with that way. So it's really good right, to, so have, to have them. Yeah, no, because they, they all are well, experts in their own area. Yeah, so they could tell you what what is what they're able to, what you know, what's more difficult to do, and that. So sounds very seamless as well. That's going, uh, you know, from one to the other. The guys work very closely, which is really good to hear as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and yeah, and then now uh, you mentioned as well with the voice acting, which I heard from the trailer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what can you tell us about the voice actors in the game? So is, is every uh, scene uh, voice acted? Uh Every oh. every character of the game will be voiced in English. Okay. And the only actor I can tell you about is uh, uh, it's Kristen, who is the voice of Betty. Okay. Because the the rest of the cast we are like uh, still recasting. Okay. So. So yeah, we are we are waiting until finishing the final script to have the final count of lines and see the amount of work to start asking for the quotes and and see if we can afford it. It's going to be a huge load of voices because as I told you, only Betty, only Betty has around 4,600 between examine and generic. Generic is what we call, instead of I cannot do that. So on one side you have the examine sentence. Hey, this is whatever, 
and then you examine it in your inventory and the sentence is different. And then you try to use that object with something and it has a specific sentence for that. So all this amount of sentences that Betty will say with all the hotspots, it's what uh, it's going to be at least one third of the voice acting cost from Betty, because then we have all the dialogues. So until we don't finish everything, we cannot find the rest of the actors. We have some ideas of who we want um, for for the for the voice of certain characters, but still we haven't contacted them. Okay. And what uh, did you know? What else Christian has worked on? If she, has she worked on any other games or any other projects? Who? Sorry. Uh, sorry. The the voice actor for Betty. Oh, um, honestly, I don't know because when we made the the test. I just uh, heard the voice and I, I, I felt this is Betty. I, I cannot imagine Betty being anyone else. So I didn't care about what she did in the past or what other projects right. she worked. <laughs> I knew that's Betty and I want that person for this character. I, I really knew. Right. It, it, so it just felt right. Yeah. For you to have an idea, Betty uh, Kristen was the first person I hired on this project because I wanted to see, uh, I wrote some, well, at the beginning I wrote some, I cannot do that sentences. And initially I wanted to do a game like, uh, you know, like Monkey Island where you have the verbs and you click it and stuff. But then I thought it would be a waste of our environment to lose a third of the screen only for that. Right. So when I wrote some interactions with those verbs to see how the sound would be, uh, the first person I hired was Kristen. Okay. Uh, she's been with us from the very beginning. <laughs> well, so she she knows the project very well then. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, that's great. And and then uh, what can you tell us about the music then? Is there anyone doing the music for the game? Yeah, the music. The music I have to say is something amazing. You will be able to hear a little bit about it on our Kickstarter. We will put some some tracks there. It's done by a freelancer. Uh, his name is Guy Jones. He's from Birmingham. And we had a lot of conversations since the beginning of the project, giving him a lot of references, telling him what we wanted, what we like. And the more we work with him, the easier the songs are coming out. Uh, the soundtrack is done in 50%. Okay. It should be done by, by the end of August, completely done. Okay. And we have around, uh, if I'm not wrong, around 30, 30 different tracks. But some of these tracks uh, are split in three different variations. For example, um, what we created that is something that I loved in Monkey Island 2 is the seamless transitions that you could go uh, from one room to the outside and to another room and don't notice that the song was changing, that yes. there were no cuts uh, or fades to black and that kind of things. So we, with the programmer also, we spend a lot of time making this system work. So now we have seamless transitions. So you can move from Betty's bedroom to the living room and you will notice the song change, but it, it never stopped. Then you can go to, to the street and see how it changed again, but still in the same line. And then you go to the church and it changes completely, but you never hear the, a break. You never hear a stop or, or a pause. So this is something that we could achieve thanks to the composer and thanks to the programmer because I had this idea that I wanted this and it was really hard to implement, but they did it really, really beautifully. 
Wow, again, that sounds, sounds great. Yes, I know I know exactly what you mean with Lucas Darovsky when he changed from room to room. And uh, the change in the, in the music is just seamless. Mm-hmm. You don't notice it. Exactly. I uh, think a good, a good soundtrack is a soundtrack that is there that you barely notice, but it's really good if you listen to it uh, on the side. And it doesn't distract you from what you're doing in the game. It just... Uh, it's just with you all the all the time that you're playing, just like a silent partner. Well, silent is not the best word for this, but right. <laughs> but you know what I mean. That the soundtrack is there, there is the music, but at some point you are not even listening to it because you're focusing what you're doing. Some exactly. games have they have this distracting soundtrack. That the soundtrack is really cool, but it has this uh, like tunes sometimes, these uh, chimes there or something that distracts you. And what was that? Oh, the soundtrack. Oh, let's go back to what I was thinking. Uh, I, I'm trying. That doesn't happen. Now, you mentioned uh, Kickstarter there. Now, by the time this episode goes up, uh, you sh- I imagine you'll probably be starting the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we're recording now, uh, is there anything that you can say about Kickstarter, what people can expect? Because I know you haven't completely finished it now with time recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there anything at all that you, that you can say, or do you want to keep it more as kind of like a mystery for people like to get like the story. No, no, I, I can tell you. The, the only thing is uh, I warn you that uh, some changes might be made when we... Sure, yes. The, the, it's not the, fine the... with time recording. We'll, uh, we'll make it clear. Okay. So the thing uh, is that yeah. we want to make a Kickstarter and one of the rewards that certainly we want, we want to have is the big box, like the, the old classic games, like in the same size and everything. We, we designed this box. The box, uh, we have some mock-ups here in the office. We even took it to PAX East uh, this year. And it's something that we think that people who love point-and-click adventure games are going to want for sure, like the big box. It's something, I don't know, I collect them. I have them from childhood, and they are really good memories. So I thought if we are going to do something as a box, it should be like the classic ones, since we are saying that we are doing a classic Lucas, Lucas game. And then we will have the typical rewards, like the digital copy, but a cheaper price. Uh, two digital copies, also cheaper price, in case you want to give it to someone. Art book, um, and a lot of things related to the game. For example, in the game, we have uh, Mike Steiner. Mike is a really special person that he has a very particular taste. It's not that what he cooks is disgusting, because some people actually eat it. But the menu is something really interesting, what he has to offer. So we will have the printed menu, like it will look like the restaurant one. And the menu is what Betty uses as inventory, because as you will find out, she works in that diner. And I think it's something related to the game. It's going to be really, really nice to have. Also, we are planning to make a map of the area, you know, like these typical roadmaps that you open and they have these adverts and stuff, and you can see all the locations that we have in this game. Um, well, the typical things like pins, t-shirts, and badges, uh, posters, that, that, that's the things that people people like. So at this point, we are figuring out uh, our biggest issue is the transport, how to make this arrive to everyone without making them spend a lot of money in transportation or customs. Right, because you mentioned you're an indie studio, and you have to figure out how to be able to get all the things there internationally. So that's uh, something you're working out then. Yeah, it's, it's something that it's hard to, to to decide what to do because 
we are we are in the studio. Uh, our effort and our time has to be spent on the game. That's that's my priority. Every hour we have, we spend on the game. So one thing is spend a few weeks designing all the products for the Kickstarter, but then another thing is the struggle of saying, oh, call this transport agency, how they will ship it, how much they will cost, um, how we deal with the customs, how long it takes. All this thing is taking a lot of time from us. So at the end, we might decide not to do the box and just wait until the game is, is something. We hope, we hope and we really believe it's going to be a success. And then maybe go with a professional company that is used to do this uh, retailing thing so right. everybody can get the box, even if it's a collection edition, more limited, but they will get it at a better price and without those uh, transportation issues. So this is my, my biggest concern because I don't want people to be angry at us for something that is out of our control. And I want them to, to be part of it. In the rewards, you will see that you will be able to be part in the game uh, in a very cool way that I cannot reveal that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but this is what we are thinking right now. Actually, today we are working on the descriptions, on the tiers, on the on the extended goals, all that stuff. Right, uh, that that takes a lot of time. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, because you want to to like you never done this, so you're assuming. Okay, I'm going to check how much pins cost. Okay, 500 pins cost me this, so we would sell it for the same price, blah, blah, but a, a bit, on, uh, let's say 5% more, 10% more, whatever. And you start making the numbers and then you see, okay, I, I would pay for this, uh, no, <laughs> then out. You know, so it needs to be uh, fair with people who's going to help us in this project. Right, and you know, it needs to be realistic as well that you can do it. Yeah, so the so, thing in one side is that hopefully they will understand that this is not our thing, we are not a shipping company. We want to do a lot of stuff, but maybe it's not possible unless you pay a lot for it. Or on the other side, we want to make you part of it to help us bring this to life because I, I think it's going to be a project that will leave a mark. It's it's never, I, I honestly believe, because I played all of them. I played all the point and clicks there are. Uh, you haven't seen a point and click like this in 20 years. Wow, okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> But I agree that your focus, I believe, should be on the game itself. Because if you start focusing on the... I mean, it's nice getting rewards of that. I really like it. But whenever I played for Kickstarters, I always think, okay, what is the actual game? What are, what game am I getting? What are they doing with regards to game? Exactly. And, and then I think, okay, for the reward, that's usually secondary to me. I don't know what other people think. But for me, it's always the main focus has to be on the game. You know, would the money go on the game? And yeah. that's whether I decide to back or not. So I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, I think, um, I think as, a, as a backer myself, because I backed uh, more than 60 projects already. Uh, wow. I, I don't care about having, let's say, I have a very nice, uh, let's say, necklace, for example. A very nice necklace from a very shitty game that everybody hates. Mm -hmm. Or I have this postcard that is art from the game, very beautiful dedicated by the team and the game it's been a success thanks because i gave him some money just right. because like that for me as a backer i feel better in those situations that when i have a very nice merchandise that okay i could buy this somewhere else probably cheaper you know i, I you should have used my money to make the game better that was the purpose of this exactly um no that's that's good to hear fr from you as well and so then uh, this is something that i've asked other 
uh, developers going on Kickstarter as well that uh, probably might be the one of the most di- t- most difficult things to to figure out. But how do you figure out exactly how much money to ask for? Because I've spoken to other developers and they've said, yeah, we really asked for too little. Um, but then they said, we don't want to ask for too much because if the if the figure is too high, then we won't reach it. But then if it's too low, then we still won't have enough money to make the game. So h- how do you decide on the, the correct amount to ask for on the Kickstarter? Okay, um, the way we are going to do it is that, as I told you, the project, the way it's designed, we we have enough resources to finish it and deliver the game as good as we want it. Okay, mm-hmm. so okay. the game is going the game is going to be awesome no matter what, Kickstarter or without. The thing is that if with certain more amount that we can measure, that we can count because it's for script and for voices and maybe to add a new scene uh, to give you a few more puzzles and explain the plot a little bit more. Um, all that can be really easy quantified and it's a lot of money. So we want to see if that happens. And then we can have uh, something additional in the game that wouldn't be there that will help you understand better a part of the story with a few more puzzles, with a few more jokes, more voices, uh, more translations, all the things that animations, everything that is implied in having that few new scenes, you know, that that since the game can be released without that, you will understand it the same way. The gameplay is going to be, I think we are talking right now how it is between 12 and 15 hours of gameplay. And it's okay. So you have an idea. It's 12 hours of gameplay without the dialogues assembled. So this means you go to a character, you click, give me this do that, blah, 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 and you just keep moving forward. So right now it's 12 hours. So imagine with the dialogue, I think it's going to be, it's going to be huge. Um, so the thing is that the game is going to be good already. Nothing is needed really, but I really want to put that in that game. I really want it inside the game because I think people will love it. So that's, that's the one we will ask for. If we get it, perfect, we will implement that. Probably uh, delay the release a little bit. And if we don't get it, then we will go with what we have and release anyway. And then maybe in the future we will be able to tell, okay, if we had this successful Kickstarter, you would be able to understand this better and see these scenes and all this stuff, but we will see. Okay, well, I, I think it's, it's good that you're saying that the game will be finished no matter what because people, but we just want to make it even better because then people will be, I think, uh, can be like, okay, yeah, at least. If uh, you know, I put money in, even if the Kickstarter, you know, you don't make the money, this will still be out. But I want to help make the game even better, help you guys tell the story exactly the way you want exactly. to. Exactly, so that, that's it. I, I, I think you know, rather than all or nothing, which <laughs> is how a lot of Kickstarters are, which you know, it's, to be fair, because they we need the money. But um, no, I'm really looking forward to it um, as well. And now you mentioned on the website at the end that. You are planning on doing a lot of localization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that the main game will be in voiced in English, and then you plan subtitles in different languages. So, what what can you tell us about the localization? Well, I think uh, even though a lot of people nowadays speak English and they understand it, uh, I think that still in a narrative game, sometimes you need a little bit of help from the subtitles, like. Uh, I don't know, for example, when I watch TV shows or movies in English, I always watch them with subtitles. I don't want to miss anything. 
So mm -hmm. I think that it's really important to reach certain countries that they really like these games, but some studios don't bother in, in adding subtitles for them. So hopefully, because the script is, is racing a lot, so we have way more lines than when we begin. I hope we can achieve to uh, make the subtitles in all those languages. But probably a few of them are not going to be cut from the project, but are going to be delayed in time after we recover some of the cost. I agree with uh, you know what you're saying there because I spoke with Livu Bor a few well, months ago. You know, he's making Gibus uh, Cthulhu Adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, he spoke about how he uh, you know localized as well the the game in different languages, including languages that games aren't usually localized in, including his native Romanian and in Arabic as well. And I, I see that you're localizing the game, you know, in other languages, including Czech and Polish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Korean and Catalan. <laughs> yeah, well, Catalan, I'm going to do it myself since it's my, my main language. And I thought it could be nice to have it there. And it's going to take me maybe two, three weeks to full time to make this happen. So probably at the end of the project, when I have time, I, I will do it. Right. Are there any other games that are in Catalan or at least localized in Catalan? Because I Honestly, can't think of any. <laughs> I don't know, but I think there should be because, you know, some... It's, if, if some people feel comfortable with their main language, so mm -hmm. without um, without forgetting about Spanish, Italian, German, and these kind of languages, if we have the the possibility, because it's in ourselves to make it better somehow, and some people will say, "Hey, I want to play it in Catalan. Let's see how how this works." I think it's it's a good idea. Yeah, any plan to localize it in Basque and Galician and all of the other languages in Spain? <laughs> that would be complicated because, as I mentioned, <laughs> I, I speak Catalan and I can do it, but I don't have the knowledge of the other. Various yeah, no, that I'm joking because that, if you said yes, I would have been like, really? No, 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 no. <laughs> you, we need to been... know where to stop, where, what to mark. Right, yeah. Um, now the other languages, you know, are certainly very difficult because you know, well. Uh, Basque, which I don't speak, but I know it's a very tough language as well. Yeah, so. it is. Very nice uh, as well, but it's really, really tough to understand. Yeah, no, very, very difficult. So, and um, and yeah, now you've mentioned as well that the game is 12 to 15 hours. So, uh, so now all things going well. So if, I would say the Kickstarter is a success. Do you have any tentative release date for the game? Um, well, honestly, we are going to release when the game is ready. And uh -huh. good answer, yeah. <laughs> since, no, no, I know it's a typical answer, but no, but it's the best answer, I think. I think that right? after three after three years working daily on this, like making the environments we are doing, the animation, the the script, everything that we are doing, all this effort could go to dirt for a buck. Uh, since we have so many conditions, so many variables, so many things that can go wrong. Uh, the testing is going to be intense and really professional. So until that's done and we can guarantee you that you are not going to face any bug that can prevent you from finishing the game properly, we are not going to announce the release date. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that rather than get, getting people's hopes up saying, oh, it's going to be out in this month, and then this month comes and goes, and oh, why didn't, why didn't you release the game? Because I know other developers... Uh, especially ones who did Kickstarter. Uh, when I spoke with the Coles, when they said, "Oh, we plan to make the game in you know six you know six months to the year," and they ended up taking six years because the game expanded and became bigger and bigger. So, 
Um, so, so no, I agree wholeheartedly with that. No, so the, the set set release date is a mistake that, uh, let's say, a rookie mistake with it uh, from the beginning. Because one thing is your intention that you would like to have it done by that time and stuff. But at some point, you've been working on it so much, you you spend so many hours that you cannot risk this to be a failure. You have to make sure that it's going to be a success, that people will love it, that people will have a good experience with it. We don't want to start seeing our Steam page, hey, I got a bug here trying to grab this icon, it disappeared, and I, now I cannot progress. We don't want to see that because it would be our first game and last. So I think as a player, I I don't care about release dates of the games. I don't follow them, you know. When I hear that they've been released, I wait a little bit because I know they normally have bugs and then I buy it, try to avoid spoilers and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I never cared if someone tells me it's going to be released in June. I never get angry if it gets released in December or even next year. What I want is that the game is good. I don't know, for example, how, how long they delayed Red Dead Redemption and stuff. But the game is really good when it came out. Little bugs, considering the huge project that is. And I want that. I want to, hey, don't worry. The game is going to be released. Trust us, but wait, because we want you to experience a good game. We don't want you to be stuck in a silly bug that we never saw it coming. Right. No, I, 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 again, I agree wholeheartedly. I, you know, I do the same that... Um, but uh, I, I've heard you know from other developers that it, it can be difficult with bugs. But you mentioned as well that you, you know that you're really really dedicated that you want you don't want any bugs at all, um, especially in your first game. But because also when uh, you know and I mentioned this I think with a previous game that there was one small bug. I think you open up an inventory item and then you couldn't click out of it. Hmm. Uh, the developers very quickly they they fixed it. But then that wasn't mentioned either in subsequent reviews or in Steam reviews. So I, I mentioned that, I think, on the podcast, saying, look, because if you read a review saying, oh, this game has a bug, it doesn't. It's been fixed. But, um, but yeah, no, the, I, I agree again wholeheartedly. When it's ready, yeah. uh, it will be released then. So, um, I, I okay. Think, yeah. For example, imagine you're playing our game. And I'm, I'm telling you, this game is long. This game is, is, is one of the longest point-and-click games you, you will ever play. And after seven hours of gameplay, you find an object that you cannot not interact with that because maybe the, the placeholder disappeared or for some reason is not there. And then this solving that bug implies you to restart the game. You're going to be furious about it. You're going right. to be furious. Even the game has replayability. We screw up your chances to get to that end that you were heading, you know? And you will have to repeat everything, and that—that's what scares me the most. That's why I'm trying to be so careful with the release date. Right. So you plan on doing a lot of testing then as well, or? Yeah, we are going to do three phases of testing. The first uh, is going to be done here at the studio, uh, trying to find everything rough, everything that I don't know, the first 80% of the bugs probably, and then we will hand it to professionals, and this company will do a retest after the first initial test. So those three phases we are going to do. After that, everything should be fine. Okay. Well, I really admire your dedication to the game and to speaking to you now for the last hour or so. I'm really, really looking forward to it now. I can see that you are putting everything and more into the game to make it as good as it possibly can be. Um, so where can people find that? Do you have a website for the game and for the studio? 
Yeah, we, we, they can find us in Twitter. Uh, it's at, at ScaringCrowds. And they can find our website at uh, scarecrow-studio.com. And, well, we are also on Facebook. Uh, we are Scarecrow Studio. So, yeah, basically there. Even in our website, there are the details of the other social media. Okay, yeah, no worries. Yeah, and I'll put them on the show notes because you have a Discord as well, which I'm part oh, yeah. of. And people can join. Now we have this customized URL because we've been verified. <laughs> And people just can join it directly with the with the URL. Uh, I have to say that I don't visit the Discord often. Pavlina does it uh, more uh, more more frequently than I do. But it's really nice to interact with people that love the genre and they tell you impressions on other games. Uh, even I don't spend a lot of time there. I really like those tiny conversations I have there. Oh sure, absolutely, yeah. And do you have then? A, do you do a blog or a newsletter as well? Yeah, we, we have a newsletter. Uh, I honestly don't remember now the, the address. I will send it to you later. And yeah, no problem. <laughs> in, in our website, there is a blog, but I have to be honest, since I started having so much work, I haven't updated in, in months. Because right. every, every, you have to understand, I wake up at 5 every day. I come wow. to the office at half past 5. And I don't leave until half past 8 in the evening. So sometimes I don't I don't even stop to to eat. I I have Crazy. ideas and I write them and I I just want to spend every minute I have and make this game better. So I barely I barely have time, uh, life outside this office. Wow, that's just crazy. And did you work weekends as well, or do you? Yeah, well here here we are. Sunday. Oh, here we are. Yeah, no, exactly. And I see su- Sunday morning. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're here. Well, look look after yourself as well. Have some yeah, to eat. And drink. No, it's very, very I'll hot over a, there. I'll take a deserved rest after three years of project when we finish, uh, when I make sure that the game is uh, what it, what we expect it to be. And then I will take a little break before starting the new one. Well, okay. Well, you can take a few breaks as well in between. <laughs> I think we'll allow you that. As well. We'll allow you to sleep and to eat. Yeah. I think we can. <laughs> I, t- I think you know, p- you know, reasonable people will say, yeah, you, you can do that. <laughs> um, okay, well, Jan, thank you very, very much. It's been a real, real pleasure talking to you. I'm really looking forward to uh, to the game, to hearing more about it, and to the Kickstarter. I think we can all then see your absolute passion for this game. It's uh, it's it's unmistakable. You know, there's no denying that whatsoever. That you're putting, as you just mentioned, everything into the into this in all your waking hours but yeah. um but you can take a break as well <laughs> honestly honestly if you if you saw how we're working here that uh, i cannot i cannot take that break because yeah. there's always someone needing something and i need to be here all the time I, there is nothing i can leave uh not handled so right I, at this point i just have one way out and it's finish this and then take the break and then maybe organize the next one a little bit better so I have more time. Sure, yeah. So, um, well, look, the very, very best of luck with it. I can't wait to find out more, and I really can't wait to to play the game. It looks amazing. It sounds like it's going to be amazing. Thank you very much. And the very best of luck. And thank you very much for, for speaking. Take me time out of your very busy schedule. A- anytime, anytime. And thank you for having us. So that was my interview with Jan Serra. Huge thank you to Jan for speaking with me, and I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm sure you'll agree that uh, he's going through a huge amount of work to make this game as good as possible. So best of luck to him and the team 
with the Kickstarter and with the game as well. And I look forward to when it is released. So that is it for this week. Next week, I will be joined by Thomas. And as I said, hopefully Laura will return. Hopefully I didn't scare her away. And we will be reviewing a few games. Amongst them, myself and Thomas will be speaking about Whispers of a Machine, which we have just finished playing. So until then, have a good weekend and a good week ahead. Bye. If you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for Adventure Game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you